This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Educational Triage this week. We're discussing the importance of integrating alternative education principles and practices into teacher training programs. And this I will do along with my wonderful partner, Philip. Aloha. So what are the education principles and practices of alternative ed that Mm. should be incorporated? Well, we begin with holistic teacher preparation, meeting diverse student needs, pedagogical flexibility, (laughs) reflective practice and not continuous improvement, preparation for changing educational landscape, enhanced enhanced teacher creativity. Just one letter changes the whole meaning. And innovation (laughs) and expanded career opportunities. Expanded career opportunities. Yeah. So beginning with holistic. Oh, your list beginning is with so holistic. Let's go for it. Beginning with holistic. Yeah. Sorry. Beginning with holistic teacher preparation. So many of you are saying, what do you mean by holistic teacher preparation? And? Okay. Your response is? It's an approach that emphasizes the development of the whole teacher. So if we talk about holistic student development, we're talking about working with the whole student. So holistic teacher development would be incorporating the needs and abilities of the whole teacher and working on those, not just their academic skills and development and knowledge. We're going to focus also on the teacher's personal and professional growth, as well as their ability to create a positive learning environment for their pupils. Right. And what are their abilities and their passions? Yes. And, and beginning to work on that. Yeah. Cause you feed those and you get to become a good teacher. If we take a look at what holistic, if we're going to train somebody holistically, we're looking at their nutrition, we're looking at their health, their nutrition, their sleep, uh, their stress management and their their exercise. Their work to rest ratio. Yeah. Work to play ratio. So, with teachers, you want much of the same thing because you want to make sure that they remain healthy. So some of those elements could be incorporated in there. That hopefully is something that you're going to bring in while you're working with the whole teacher. For example, um, 
breathe, breath work and meditation practices mm-hmm. are, I would imagine, being incorporated certainly at the college level because we're seeing it at the high school level now. You know, they're, they're doing right. things like, you know, teaching the kid, hey, take a breath and use breath. And that's a relatively new concept. America thought that, it, you know, to breathe was like, what do you mean breathe? It's silly. I'm always breathing. Yeah, I heard that for like decades. And then all of a sudden people started to understand that what it does to you, it slows things down. So it becomes practice yeah. by everybody, you know. And we also want to have people understand all the different methodologies and pedagogies. That's important. I had no clue when I got out um, of grad school of the categories and differences and the pedagogies. I just, I knew some of the ones I was learning and some of the ones I wanted to use, but I didn't realize I was actually doing things like project-based, <laughs> things like that, <laughs> outcome-based, you know. Oh, that's what that is. Well, it seemed like a good idea. So <laughs> you've done it too. It's got a name. <laughs> right. Because when you're an alternative teacher, you need to have a huge toolkit. You're not yeah. going to be, you're not going to be like a BMW mechanic for kids mm-hmm. where if you teach, let's say that you're teaching mathematics and you know that you have the BMWs of the school. Even if you are teaching just those kids mm-hmm. who fall into that component, you need to be able to also be able to teach the kids that aren't getting any math that don't understand it. So you need to be able to have this cut this huge swath. And every teacher that leaves teacher training should actually be able to leave with a huge toolkit. Certainly. Now, some of that may become dormant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you were an IB teacher, for example, you mm-hmm. know, IB has a very regimented curriculum and testing pattern. I mean, to be IB certified, International Baccalaureate, that um so you don't have a lot of variance but as an alternative teacher you better have it <laughs> your toast you better be able to think on your feet you know? however i taught ib english yeah and yes it is regimented but you yeah. can still use alternative strategies in order oh. to work with the students well okay yeah I'm, I'm i would if you gave me that curriculum i could do it i think some teachers maybe wouldn't um there's just some curriculum they kind of like to be a part of that culture and that culture isn't as flexible that's all ap it's there's a lot of ap classes going on now no all of those here's the problem people get caught up in the structure i know yeah they do but but that's the same thing think of this if you go into a five-star restaurant yeah it is very uncomfortable for many people because they feel that they have to act a certain way. They lose, they become far more rigid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. They only talk in a hushed whisper when they speak. If somebody drops a knife, yeah. they shoot out of their seat because it's so disruptive. But you go into these places and, or you're given structures and People are just absolutely paralyzed and they think that they can't move around. Yeah. You can move around. You're not put in a straight jacket. You are told these are the things you will teach. Here is your timeline for teaching. Yeah. But my point is, don't miss it. 
there are some people that enjoy <laughs> that quiet restaurant. They actually want it to be that way. They sort of go with the flow. They work there because everyone's so quiet and kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> it's the people that really like that curriculum. You can really fall in love with some curriculum and just forget to teach, I guess would be my point. Don't forget to teach while you're like... Don't forget your students. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the other people in the room. You may yeah, love the material, under. but think about how you're delivering that material. It's all about mm -hmm. the delivery. Yep. Yep. And you got a different crowd too, let's face it. So for holistics, you want to have your content knowledge, which God forbid you don't have, <laughs> pedagogical knowledge, personal and, uh, personal and professional development. You need to know what resources you have available and where to go in order to get that professional and personal development yes. for yourself. Even if it's there. Field experiences. And this is what we talked about with mentorship. Now, when I was training and I was and I was going for my Oregon license, I had to do a series of practicums where I would go to various schools and mm -hmm. I would work with teachers at various levels. And I would be there for maybe six weeks and I would work with them. Hmm. And some of those teachers had me teach the classes. So that in itself was a learning experience. I don't know what I don't know why teachers have these other people come in and just sit there and observe. I can't think of anything duller. Uh, only the only way I would see a use in that is asking a cohort colleague, someone capable, and say, "Look, come into my classroom, watch me teach this class." I don't want to be observed. I just want you to be there and just see how I do things. And I'd love some, some pointers after anything, you know, just what you saw. And I don't want you to instruct me or mentor me per se, but just do I go and um more than I'm realize? I mean, you know, should I've had the pencils ready sooner? That sort of thing, you know, just cause you get into a, a mode where you're alone in your classroom and you just get used to like, you're alone in your classroom. And it'd be awful nice sometimes, I thought, to have another teacher come in and go, oh, yeah, you do this really well. Well, I'm talking about, no, I'm not talking about student teaching. I'm talking about doing a practicum where you're, yeah. where maybe you go in maybe once or twice a week for six weeks yeah. and you're there for maybe one or two hours. Well, you just said you couldn't think of a reason why somebody would just sit in a classroom and watch a teacher. Well, and yeah, I can't think of the only reason why, is it like why a, a teacher would have somebody doing field experience just sitting there and observing yeah i learned that what was not about to do. it i always learn what not to do kind of in mm -hmm. many ways i'm always delighted when i learn new stuff like oh i like that i'm gonna keep that yeah and then there's reflective practice mm -hmm. and that is a having a self-awareness about what's working and what didn't ah. work and questioning why did this work or why didn't it work well, yeah, and that's that we do that constantly. At least I know I'm talking about the two of us and many of our colleagues. We just you just knew it was going to be a work in art, a work in progress. It wasn't going to be like, well, here's my unit. It's all done. It's here's the framework and uh, it worked really well. Next year, I'm going to add this or take this out or whatever. Yeah. I do it all the time. Because I would always ask my students, okay. Yeah. Are you understanding this? If you are, show me how you're understanding it. Tell me. 
So paraphrasing works. There are all kinds of ways to do it. You know, if and they, they know the stuff and what you want them to know. And you know, it's like, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't quite get that. And I thought that was more important than it should have been. I should have integrated So whenever, I, whenever there was a question, I would always ask my students and I'd give them an essay test. Did you give an essay test and did you grade them on the writing as well as the content or just the content with a framework? Well, I observed there. It depends. Okay. Now, if we had gone through certain series of writing exercises oh, yeah, and they should have known, mm -hmm. then, yeah, I will look at their writing and I will comment on their writing. But overall, I'm looking for the content. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really good. If whether or not they understood the concepts that we were discussing and how well they more. did and how well they were ingrained. And the odd thing is 98% of my students were incredible. And oh. the 2% that weren't incredible were right on the money. So go. it had yeah. nothing that told me that was my feedback because, and they said, why do you give us these tests? And I said, I need to know whether or not you're understanding it because if you're not, then I need to figure out something else. Mm -hmm. And for them, that made it a completely different exercise. As well this was as part of my reflective feedback as well as their attempt in telling me what it is that they understood. Yep. Yeah, I totally understand that. I was just thinking of alternative methods, too, that work that way as well. Yeah, yeah. I just, when I did it, it was always kind of outcome-based. Uh, I really tried to make Tell me about that. Oh, just like the, the Everest unit, you know, I just, the whole thing kind of came together. The information about oxygen levels and altitude and things fell in place because they were simulating a climb. And, you know, as it, it went forward in the days, the climb went forward and they sort of learned everything that was important and not important. And then they sort of checked on everything. And uh, so at the end of it, everyone had a pretty good uh, fluency about what that entailed, the whole journey up Everest and back down scientifically and historically and socially, the whole thing, because they kind of lived it in a way. And if there were some of the, the things that were missing, things that I wanted them to kind of get or make connection between, I sort of marked those. And as the years went by, I made them more concrete, more connected, more obvious, you know, but they really picked it up within the framework of going, simulating going at Mount Everest. They would look forward to it every, every morning and they knew where they were. You know, if I'm at this altitude, I need to do this. I need to, to watch this. I need to, you know, and then I'd give them tests. And, um, but they, they just nailed the quizzes. They had no problem. You know, like, what that's altitude awesome, do you have to worry about this? Oh, this altitude. That, that's it. Good. You got it. <laughs> yeah, because well, you've incorporated there, you you've incorporated geography, you've incorporated mathematics, you've yeah. incorporated some chemistry and yeah, some oh, biology. Yeah. Oh, biology was big time. And we talked about well, how come they just can't go on? Well, that, funny you should ask that. It's a great question. It's gonna take about three days to even get into, but we'll do it. Yeah, here's what happens when your muscles break down. And then you talk about that. It, it's just, it becomes in context. Oh, well, I can see how that could happen. And then they can spread out mm -hmm. from there. And I never pretend that they're going to get it all because I always think of myself and some things were delayed. 
in my learning. And then later on. Well, what are the most important things that you want them to learn? And those are what you really want to build your foundation on. We need to move on to meeting diverse student needs. Yeah, we're not talking about just racial or gender. We're talking about. We're talking about individualized (laughs) instruction. We're talking about student centered learning. Yes. what are the needs that your students require in mm. order to understand and develop their skills yeah. and move on with the information that you're giving them? So you need mm-hmm. to be able to scaffold. You need to, in, in a whole lot of different ways. You find things and sometimes. I think we talked about differentiated curriculum, Carol Tomlinson. Yeah. We talked about parallel curriculums. We've talked about project-based. We've talked about a whole slug of them. This is this is worth noting, and, and um, people in the audience might might or might not understand this, but you and I have both been surprised about this. The extent by which a student will go to hide a disability or gap in their learning. For example, mm-hmm. just blatantly, a kid who can't read can sometimes be extremely elusive to find that out. I mean, they find a million ways to evade the assignment, kind of do an assignment, not do an assignment, blah, blah, blah. And if you really peg them down, it's a possibility. I can't read, okay? I haven't been able to read since the third grade. I mean, I just can't read. I don't I don't like reading. It's like, what? And here in high school, and you got this kid who's saying they basically can't read. It can happen. And that's a diversifying curriculum for sure, but you got to disclose, you got to uncover that stuff in your students. They'll hide it like crazy. But one thing that you need to be able to do is, in that case, is to create a safe learning environment, be able to tell kids, you know what, if you have anything that you need to tell me that's going to affect your progress in this class, here's a box, put it in there, let me know what it is. And you have to be, you have to recognize it. And then they might go, no, there's nothing. And you're going, all right, (laughs) how do I give you the opportunity to to safely tell me that you really can't read? Because I'm pretty sure you can't. It's like, because it happens. And that's, let's take it back to the beginning. Relationships. If you have that good relationship and if you're open, they'll tell you. Eventually they might, you know, really break down. I can't do this. And it's really part of my lousy self-esteem and then you're on but yeah that's what you want well sometimes i just sit down with students individually yeah yeah that and we have a brief chat a and it's like yeah. how are you doing what's going on you did a really good job on this hey you did something here i know you can do better what can we do to make that better you're going with a growth mindset because you believe in them growth mindset yeah Always a growth mindset. I never look at somebody and go, you don't have that? Oh, well, see, oh, we're not there. We don't have that. Well, let's get that. Well, let's unless you're absolutely that shocked that, that they don't have it because, right. you know, looking at you, I would think that you did have it. So you've done a pretty good job. Let's Maybe move surprise, on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you need to figure out a way for students to learn how to adapt to their learning environment. Yeah. Mm. Um, what's their background? What are their learning gaps? You need to know what those gaps are. Not being able to read is one of them. Yeah. So I had a student who was uh, severely abused. He couldn't read past the first grade level. Yeah. 
Yeah. We got him up to sixth grade level because he saw that other kids were doing some of the same progress. And as I told other people said, well, how come they get to do this and I don't? And it's because their learning style and what they need are different than what you need mm -hmm. and what your learning style is. So where you might need me to do something for you, I'll do that, but I won't do it for them. You just need to have students understand that not everybody came as a complete package in a sense when they walked through those doors, but your job is to figure out how to make them as complete as possible when they walk back out at the end. Yeah, it's student first, structured curriculum second. It's like, we all question, how come you're up to grade level? It's like, what's grade level? I mean, there's some kids who are thinking like at a college level in some subjects. There are some kids that are thinking you're at the fifth or fourth grade ability in some subjects. Literally, it's a big range. So grade level is kind some, of a weird thing. <laughs> well, there's some students who are just not developmentally, developmentally right. ready right. to begin such development. And then when they do, they just shoot off like a rocket. Exactly. It's like at later in like, you know, once high school's behind and they probably thrive for all we know, because it right. is its own system. They may not be very good at thriving inside of it. There's some there's some kids I went to high school with who I was a little worried about what was ever going to happen to them. Yeah. And some of them are the wealthiest people um, that that yeah. were in our school. Um, I can think of one who was one of the poorest people in our school. We hung out. We didn't hang out in the same circles. We knew mm -hmm. each other. We played mm -hmm. football together. Um, we did some of the same things as cliques. But we didn't really stay in touch. I was talking to another classmate of mine years later, and she was telling me, oh, yeah, do you remember all these things? And it's like, no, I didn't. I, I wasn't paying attention to all those yeah, things and gave me the background. Well, this person has written a book. It's being optioned as a movie. Jeez. He's He's got... Sounds All like kinds of worst years of his life. He's, <laughs> as a businessman, yeah. he took what he learned in the field and created his own empire. And it's not just him. I've seen other people do the same thing. But we never know what's sitting there. So there's still always a possibility you don't ever give up on a kid. Yeah, I mean, so pedagogical flexibility. Well, like we were saying, I just wish I knew what they were called. Yeah, you know, all kinds of pedagogies, rolling, all kinds of approaches. We just categorize them. Well, there's a number of them. We're talking about project-based learning, experiential learning, cooperative learning, uh, proficiency-based. Mm -hmm. They are what they sound like, you know. Their level of right, student-led. Yeah, yeah, student-led. So, oh gosh, got me excited. I love that one because it's a challenge. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, a challenge, student. Oh, what could I do with that? Yeah. Now, the thing is, is that you're providing all those opportunities for all the students in your class. Yeah. And maybe a student doesn't feel comfortable attempting one of them. Mm -hmm. So, 
when they get around to it, you know, maybe you give them a taste of it so they can see what maybe is happening or they mm-hmm. see what other people are doing. What if you makes can't them apply com- it to a subject they like, find out right. what they like and then go, oh, let's talk about that. <laughs> or or let them come up with the time and reason for doing it themselves. Yeah. yeah. And if they don't, well, yeah. you know, you've already had those discussions. Have you thought about this? Don't force yeah. them into doing something that they don't want to do. Well, it might. Yeah. Because at that point, it's not, it's not going to fit anyway. If right. the kid's not willing, it's not, even if it does fit, it's not going to fit. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Because what you want to do is you need to meet their unique needs and be able to help launch them. In the moment down. that they are in, not the moment you want them to be in, or the other students are feeling right. But the where down the road at. to success. Yeah, where they're at at the time you're with them. Yeah. Okay, we already discussed reflective practice and continuous improvement. And this is something that's very, very important. Even if it means mm-hmm. journaling, I remember other student teachers when who had a different advisor when I was doing my student teaching and they had to keep a daily journal and they hated it. They just hated it. Now looking back on that, I think, wow, what, what an incredible piece of information. But back then we were doing, we were taking full loads of 18 to 20 hours we were doing our practicums. We were all working jobs. And then we had to do our student teaching. And back at that time, student teaching, you taught for a quarter. Oh, we taught for a quarter. We, we were there for a year. Taught for a quarter. Taught for a semester, actually. So in your reflective practice, you want to put in student needs. How are you addressing those? You want to look at whether what was successful, what needs to be worked on, keeping the growth mindset as you're going through there. You don't belittle yourself. You might want to say, how did I not see this? Well, maybe you were, you know, dig deeper and figure out what it was that blinded you. Don't don't beat yourself up if you miss something and cater to your own system. Because you said like journaling, and I didn't like journaling. I'd done so much journaling. It's like, ah, but I post-it notes, you get the bigger ones, you know, the ones that are like, you know, six inches. And those were like, okay, and this is this. But if you really needed to explain something like a single sheet of paper next to that was really good. And then the little ones were good for remember to do this or change that. I was like post-it note city. And, you know, maybe it wasn't just crazy post-it notes, but, you know, meaningful here, there, just that, this just made it so much easier for me to go, oh, yeah, I got to get this supplier. Oh, <laughs> no, don't do that one. Remember that lesson's not that. Things like oh, that. wow. Yeah, like it just that. was quick. Yeah, post-its. Yeah, because I hate it. Journal. I'm like, I don't want to read my journal to get the <laughs> idea back. I just want the idea. Yeah. The next one is preparation for an ever-changing educational landscape. That's what got me excited. Because... Remember, You're getting excited about a lot of stuff today. Yeah, for some reason. Because, well, I think it's foolish that we ignore the fact that computers have just revolutionized learning like no other. I mean, we don't even understand what we don't understand. 
And like, if you look at Moore's law, which seems says that computers double in capacity and speed every two years, that we're behind. <laughs> we're woefully behind in the education society, trying to keep pace with what the technology is forcing us to deal with out there in the real world. So yeah, you really have to expand your idea of what a what curriculum even is and include as much new stuff as soon as you can. Because I mean, I remember I was touching on CRISPR, you know, with the kids like five years ago, six years ago, and that seemed like really new. And it was at that time, not as new. And now it's like, well, we've kind of moved on. I mean, they have it, but CRISPR is kind of old news. And Well, there's so many. There are so many educational programs. I did. um, Jennifer Gonzalez. She she is she's brilliant. She really is. I mean, she is kind of like her own entity now, and she has a summer school, like a summer institute for teachers. I did it the first year, but I had just buried my brother and my mother. And I was really kind of going through a lot of stuff. So it was difficult for me, but I learned so much that was happening. And I was amazed. But everything that I learned there, Mm -hmm. I could scaffold. And the next year, I could have taken the course again. And I would have learned even more. Because because there's always new material There are always new programs to integrate into the classroom. And I'm I'm saying you should have learned more. I mean, not putting you down, but I'm saying the mindset isn't, you know, I can learn more. It should be, I I need to learn more because it's just changing so quick. Um, You know, I didn't make that up. I'm not saying, you know, I really agree with that. I'm just saying, I think our society and the way computers have, AI, I mean, it's you (laughs) Things is a changing really quickly, and we have to be able to change with them. And right, we, and so you need to be adapting. in the classroom in New York. It was hilarious. It's like you're not going to be able to do that. But think about what happened with the pandemic. There were yes. teachers who were scrambling, and whole schools, whole districts that were scrambling. I had been working with, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but. I decided that I really wanted to be able to have kids be able to succeed even if they couldn't come in because if they were ill or if they were, say, suspended Mm -hmm. or expelled, if they had the equipment, they could still be earning credits off campus. And so I wanted to make sure that I had enough things there for them to be able to work on. Mm -hmm. And so I created, because I was creating the high school completion and the credit recovery curriculum. And I had to come up with a multitude of classes. And so those were all available on classroom. I went to work with, I went to work on that. And then Christy, who was our former co-host, she called me and she said, do you want a little help with that? And I said, Oh, please. And she became one of our top instructors. So I was, we were able to get all that out. So by the time that we went online, mm-hmm. we already had all our curriculum done. It was already there. We could view it. We could work with the students individually on it. It worked really, really well. Yeah, it's a good delivery system. I mean, technology offers 
a, quite a bit of accessibility, but let's not confuse the accessibility with how technology changes our way of doing things. Well, curious. that <laughs> that was working for the kids, and yeah. then the district determined that it was better to go with an online system <sighs> that they had to pay. I don't know how much money they had to pay. It had to be over a million dollars. We talked about that. People like And we've talked money. about this. So and there was nothing there. And the kids really hated it. It's awful. But it was because they put somebody that they liked into an alternative education position. They didn't want to teach. They wanted to have more free time. And they were only half time. So they could coach. And they could do some other classes that they wanted to teach. Mm. So they put all the kids online so they didn't have to do anything with them and they had more time to free up so they could coach more effectively. So they listened without, to without them. Without asking the students, right? Never asked. Without the asking the students and without asking oh. anybody else in the district who had the uh, history or the ability of knowing what works for kids <laughs> and why ask. we moved away and why we moved away from that because we had moved away from it and we were far more successful once we moved away from that system and then the district decided mm -hmm. to double down yeah Let, well, so, you know we, we called it awful and let's clarify it has its place i worked with it for three years that very platform we're speaking of it, mm -hmm. it, it has a lecturer in one corner and, and then the words, and then you have quizzes and questions and breaks, you know, as it stops talking. And now take this quiz. That to us is, as a entire curriculum, awful. That's not a base curriculum. For a, like a student that is at home or like recovering from an injury or can't get something, I don't know, there's a circumstance, it can come in handy. But for your general curriculum, it's awful. It's there is an audience for it. The alternative students don't tend to be that audience. No, it's it's, it's very rare person who wants to just sit in front of a computer and, and be spoken to. It's laziness. Them. It's pure it is. laziness is what it it's is. It's like if you could do something and call it good. I wish I could like, you know, the things we have to do over and over in life, we do it because there's a reason to do it. Learning is like that. You don't just learn it and move on. Right. You can use it. Yeah, you have to use it. Enhanced teacher creativity and innovation. There you go. Yeah. Far, that's the opposite of what we were speaking of. <laughs> you have to think, right, because you have to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. I wanted to meet the needs of students, and so, oddly, we were well-prepared, and we had been well-prepared for almost a year. Yeah, and you've done it before. before I know you. You really, you kind of enjoy doing curriculum. I, I love it. I, love I like it. creating it. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I had to like, you know, haul slate from a mine. <laughs> it was, I enjoyed doing it, <laughs> but it was a lot of work. A lot of work. Yeah. It is a lot of work, but you're learning yeah, while you're know. creating it. And yeah. it's like putting together a puzzle. And as I said in that one, uh, episode that we did on on curriculum construction mm -hmm. you need to have you know using a curriculum map works but you need to know what your end goal is 
And sometimes that angle changes. So <laughs> simply because you may not have the time or the resources. So you have to look at the standards. You have to figure out, okay, I need my students to understand this. What are the most effective ways to get there? And then right. what else can I throw in as enrichment? Right. And I'm, and I would have further add that we were talking about how technology changes just life. That right. technology will actually get rid of some of your curriculum, you know, uh, because technology has taken over for those certain things that you used to teach. But uh, note cards. there are a lot we of students. Use note cards anymore, really, for, for research. There are other systems. Some students. Some people do, and there's no, no problem, but that's not the way to do it anymore. There are much different. And no I was told by administration, yeah. students may not use pencil and paper. They will use computers only. And uh -huh. I said, no, 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 no. no. And they said, I don't want to hear about it. And I said, I don't then don't bring it up again. Yeah, then you don't talk about it because I will not come But Because we need to meet the needs of the children. We need to meet the needs of the ever-changing. And we have to be flexible so that right. sometimes you're going along and all of a sudden you realize what you're doing is absolutely wrong. And then you grab something else that seems completely off the hook. But it is perfect. Mm -hmm for what you need. <laughs> that happens a lot, actually. Yeah, that happens more often than not. And I think, <laughs> I, and I think one of the big challenges with alternative ed yeah. that people don't like and they don't take it seriously is because if you're doing alternative ed correctly, you can have so much fun and the students can have so much fun. And we already know that students learn things eight to 10 times faster when they're playing than if they have to do it by rote and or so memorization. Adults. Same thing when you grow up. <laughs> if you're enjoying it, you're going to learn it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you play with it. Yeah. And you play okay. with it and you feel like making mistakes or not. The whole thing opens up. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it's okay to be goofy. Sometimes it's okay to be goofy most of the time, as long as you're staying within your parameters. Yeah. I mean, it's just approach to life. It's, I'm not, I can't pretend that the semester's essay test is the difference between your life and death. <laughs> it's not. Right. <laughs> okay. Expanded career opportunities. Well, there you go again. Think of it. Yeah. As I said at the beginning, you leave, if, if, if they were teaching this in teacher training, everybody would be leaving with a huge, be able to cut a huge swath of a path with all the tools that they're gaining. I, you know, it's interesting too, because had I been given the choice to choose alternative ed, you know, I would have done it in a heart, heartbeat, just two in two seconds. That's what I want to do. Um, I just was told, you know, that you're going to be a teacher. And I kind of understood how teachers work because I went through school, but I've kind of seen how it is because my kids went through school and so da, da, da. And it doesn't get broken down when you're in school to, you know, there's alternative ed and there's like, there's like regular, there's international baccalaureate IB, there's this. So you don't really kind of know when you get hired, a lot of people are maybe mismatched with their best abilities. For example, if I'd have been Mr. Third Period History, I don't think I would have been as 
as good as where I landed. But because I enjoyed it, that's for sure. Alternative Ed was wonderful, but I didn't even know it was there until I kind of lucked out. That's because it's the ugly bastard stepchild. Yeah, and, and no one would even say it's why. Well, it's the ugly bastard chip child because the kids and I go, sounds good to me, sign me up. <laughs> well, because it's in a back room, and so it's one of those hush secrets. They don't want people to know about it. And nobody said, and like anything that's outside the mainstream school, they're like, well, you know, yeah, the redheaded stepchild. We don't talk about them. We don't talk about that. You know, it's not worth talking about. It's like, well, it certainly is. Those are kids. Mm-hmm. It's really worth talking about because they're doing some really crazy good things. And you're sort of thinking, well, as long as they're not here. But the problem with that is that every district, I think, has the motto to educate every child. Yeah, I know that one does. (laughs) But they don't do it. That's true. They They only focus on those kids, which would be the top achieving kids that they can highlight, and they do very little for our kids. Well, those highlighted kids are cost-effective, too. They're part of the mainstream, and so generically speaking, they don't cost as much. They, they, they do the thing they're supposed to do. It's not a big deal. <laughs> but you know, fast food does what it's supposed to do. <laughs> a gourmet meal takes work, right? I was going to say, and guess what? It's more expensive to prepare, and that's the bugaboo. They, nobody likes spending money in the age of Reagan. It's like, oh, taxes are evil. It's like, wait a minute. You know, your taxes are going towards, you know, educated kids. And some of those kids are all dead kids. A lot of them actually, most of them are. And that's expensive. It just is. To really do it correctly, it costs money. Mm -hmm. No one wants to spend it. No. So, that being said, we have Mm -hmm. something to celebrate tonight. It is. This is our 100th episode. 100. What What do you think of that? I think that's awesome. That's three digits, which is more than two. That's right. So everybody, we have a hundred episodes down. We have some more that are coming up. So until next week. Until next week. Philip, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Tony. And to our audience, have a great week and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.